Welcome to the Mother of All podcast. A very, very special welcome to Mr. Louis Le. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I finally got it right. He's come a long way, all the way from Hong Kong. Um, he, tell us about yourself, Louis. You, you, you're, you're doing your master's degree yep. at Liverpool John Moores. Yep. Tell us a bit about what you're doing right now and, and maybe what you want, wish to aim for in the future. Yeah, so uh, sport nutrition, a master's in sport nutrition at LGMU, at Liverpool John Moores. Um, coming to the end of the master's right now. Um, just got a couple of assignments to do and just finishing off the projects, which we aim to get it done by the end of July. Tell us about this project, Louis, please. Oof. Is it a big? It's yeah. a big one. Well, yeah, can, maybe. Can <laughs> so dance. we're 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 um investigating the effects of this uh supplement, uh this New Zealand black currant extract supplement on the effects of carbohydrates oxidation, um and whether it has a gly- glycogen sparing effect. So previous studies have shown it to increase fat oxidation and decrease uh, carbohydrate oxidation. So um, in theory, should um, uh, increase your endurance capabilities, um, but it's, it's early days. So still, still lots of research to do ahead. Yeah. Any particular questions on that, Matthew? Matthew in there just um, on that uh, point well nothing on, on, on directly on that point um, obviously interesting to sort of um, see the, like, where that goes um, obviously from a, from a, a personal um, sort of side of things of obviously uh, as an endurance athlete and you know the utilisation of, of moving towards um, utilising sort of fat stores over and, and preserving sort of glycogen over the, the marathon distance and, um, and obviously you know potentially in the ultra marathon distance eventually and things like that so um. Yeah, but um, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, it touches slightly on on some of the questions I had, but I don't know. Yeah. You, you, you wanna? Well, first of all, the very, very, very warm welcome to Louis and um, this book that you've chosen, the A to Z of modern manners. We we place that into your hands. You 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 a prolific reader, Louis. You you seem to you, you're very educated, man. You do a lot of reading. Well, why why pick that particular book? I don't read a lot of books specifically, but a lot of um, research papers. Mm. Um, I think that's vital just just to you know it, uh, yeah. expand your knowledge on what you're studying, and I think just reading papers helps your your um, your writing skills. Um, on that particular book, though, Modern Manners, do you feel that the people of this country don't have any? <laughs> I, I picked it because I, I assumed it's written by a British person and I need to learn the British way. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not having any manners, generally. <laughs> anyway, and this wonderful, wonderful bottle of Massam Cider. Um, I, I was at the place, I met the owner. Um, very small business in North Yorkshire and they're using apples they don't add anything uh, they use the natural yeast of the apples a wonderful uh, bottle of cider to enjoy thank when you. you get home so thank you very much I'll definitely very, drink it very welcome probably next week after after these assignments <laughs> just to uh... um, very briefly you know Hong Kong do you remember much of your, your childhood and that before you came how, what, tell us about you just briefly on your, your story of yes. how you came to be in this country and, and um, just a bit, bit about your past really if you can yeah so born and raised in Hong Kong uh, went to Leeds Beckett uh, what was Leeds Met at the time, but became Leeds Beckett to do my undergrad. Did it in sport and exercise science, uh, so that was three years. Went home, um, so I graduated in twenty sixteen, and there was a five year gap, doing just random jobs. Um, towards the end of that five year gap, did some 
um, cycling coaching, road cycling coaching, and five years later started a I'm back in the UK. And how old are you now, Louis? Twenty six. Twenty six. Still a young man, well, and um, yeah, yeah, and. Um, and then just hoping to, to stay stay in the UK. You, you, you'd like to stay in, in the UK? That's, that's the goal, yeah. Yeah, any particular place in which you'd like to, to be? Not really, just wherever a job takes me. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're very lucky to have you here today. Matthew, um, I suppose we can we can loosely go into some of these questions that you've... Well, I suppose the first off is I know obviously you've, you've been working closely with, with John Joe over the, the, the probably the last, well, it must have been six months or so or something like that now. It, it feels uh, like... Uh, two, I'd say three months. Yeah, three months or something three, like that. The, the start of this year or so. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, what I'd like to sort of, I suppose, just delve into... That a little bit first before we jump into some of these questions, find out these these secrets that John Joe has been learning and, and, uh, and don't tell him help, helping helping his performances. Uh, you know, and he's out there on the roads and, and across country this season. Um, you know, so yeah, you know, what what have you have you been getting up to? And and, and obviously, I know we saw a video in the lab of, of John Joe on the treadmill and um, you know masks on and things like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. What was all that? that? What was all that about, Louis? Um, well, you might have to remind me what I did with you. We were. I was working with what was it, five now, five runners. So you need to remind me what I did with you. Right. Well, like, we, you stuck us on the treadmill, and we started to ramp up. Uh, Fifteen kilometers, I think it was three three minutes at that. Then it went to sixteen. Uh, okay. Three so, minutes. Kept going up. Got to twenty kilometers. Three minutes, and then. Then you went straight to twenty one, but you raised the uh, the incline to maximum, yeah. and um, that's where I didn't last very long. I would say I, I, that I don't remember what gradient you got to. Twenty one, twenty one. Oh, the, the gradients. Speed. Oh, sorry, the gradient. I don't uh, remember. The well, gradient was maximum, I think. Is it not? No. I reckon it was like maybe three or four, three or four percent, maybe. No, I I <laughs> no, it was a big hill. <laughs> Three or four percent. You maxed out. Treadmill should not go any higher. <laughs> well, I mean, we should skip that, really. But uh... <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, that... um, well, the question I want to ask you is: you you were pricking my finger. Yeah. I was jumping off. You know, after three minutes on fifteen, they pricked my finger, and then I jumped back on again, and then. You know, I was worried because I, I try and practice a bit of guitar playing, and by the end of it, you, you bruised all my fingers. Um, and so uh, testing then. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that first that first half uh, where we were taking bloods every three minutes, that was the lactate test, or sub. It could be called like a sub max test or threshold test. Mm. Um, that's to um, sort of dis distinguish your your training zones. Um, and then that second half of that test where we where we're increasing uh, the gradient every minute um, that was just simply just to find out your VO2 max um, the VO2 max doesn't actually it sort of sets the ceiling of what you're capable of, capable of right now but that lactate test previously with the gas analysis um, sort of tells you what's what What's, ha what's going on like underneath that ceiling yeah and one of the tests uh, didn't work out I recall was it the mask test which one the uh, didn't really you didn't you looked at the data and you said well I don't know it's kind of like a void for some reason uh, I think I think what you're talking about was the VO2 max it was weirdly yeah. low Right. I don't remember what we got. It was like right. high fifties, fifty something. Uh, I would, I would expect. What was it? High fifties. Can't remember what we got yeah. with you, but I would expect like at least sixties, seventies. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, not sure why that is. Um, interesting. I, I do recall at the time Tom stayed on the treadmill, not much longer really than me. It could have been thirty seconds, if that. I don't know, but my heart rate was was um, getting back to uh, a normal recovery. It was recovering sort of quicker than Tom's, which I thought 
was interesting. Um, and I, th I, I thought that came from the, the physicality of the job that I'm doing. So there was, there was a sort of endurance, a fitness level there. You get Tom, very precise with his training, probably perhaps trains more, he does, he runs more, you know, and he was able to keep on. And yet, what, would that, what did that mean to you at the time, Louis? Uh, your lower heart rate. I, I would just attribute it to just you being older. <laughs> Oh, older. Oh, yeah, God. just like... <laughs> <laughs> no, but in regards to, to Tom, I mean, the recovery of the heart, you know, so I, my, my heart's beating very fast. I'm doing these births, these efforts, yeah. but it's recovering quicker than Tom's. And yet he stayed on the treadmill, you know, slightly longer than me. Yeah. And he wasn't recovering as quick. Is that because I'm older? I'd say the lower average heart rate was because you're older oh, okay. and then the recovery you might have to ask a physiologist and <laughs> <laughs> yeah no particularly and, the, and the, the recovery yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so do, do, do you anyway. work with um with jamie Pugh then is he i know jamie, jamie Pugh, yeah. yes um, yeah. he helped teach our uh, our practical lessons no. um he's actually running a study right now on um so they're investigating the difference between um uh, the effects of honey and uh i believe it's gels no. like sis gels yeah uh si is not a sponsor by the way yeah uh, <laughs> um uh, yeah the, just um investigating the difference between um the oxidate the oxidation rate between yeah. Uh, in, ingesting honey and uh, and uh, like carbohydrate gels. Yeah, because Jamie, Jamie carried out um, lactate testing on on me in the um, the England Marathon Development Camp uh, mm -hmm. down in Birmingham back in what uh, early March. Um, so we did, which is which is. I mean, I I think I spewed my results quite a lot because it was basically we went we were meant to be going down and doing. Uh, two mile efforts on the road okay. and then stopping after each well one test at the very beginning mm -hmm. and then after each two miles uh, loop we'd stop get another test and then carry on okay um, and just sort of we were aiming to sort of do and then was eight, that eight increasing so. increasing speed um, so we were doing well we were doing two miles uh, at marathon sort of pace okay and then two miles easy so it was after every marathon paced two miles uh, okay. we, we would stop um, and, and have a lactate test Um but um, there was an optional go and do the part run in the morning first. So I went out and ah. did the part run first. And then, so before we even started the lactate testing, I'd already done in total 10 miles and then carried on into it. <laughs> so like mine was like quite, mine was skewed, but my, my um, I think I had something like, my, my initial lactate test um, was something like one okay. moles. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, it only went up to after two efforts of the two miles at marathon yeah, pace. Yeah. It went up to one point two, and that was as high as it went. Mm -hmm. um, well, I know some of the other guys' ones, you know, shot up considerable amounts. Sort of, you know, they went up to like four and five, four or five miles and things like that. Um, and things, but yeah, I don't know how how mine had obviously <laughs> skewed the result. Plus, it wasn't obviously under it wasn't under full lab conditions because it was it was an extremely windy day would, where we I were i would argue actually. that's that's actually a really good thing like keeping your lactate really low yeah so um so lower lactate accumulation so uh lower hydrogen ions um basically just fatigue yeah uh, so slower yeah so that that brings me into into one of the questions um I, i've got written down actually um because obviously lactic acid Builds lactate builds yeah. um, from lack of, um, you know, I'm, I'm digging into my sports science days now, which are a lot, uh, uh, quite a few years before before your started, and then um, in the past now. But um, obviously, from um, lack of oxygen in the body, is it metabolizes uh, um, glycogen uh, stores and things like that, and therefore, um, you know, you're building the lactate. It's a byproduct. Um, I I would lactate. argue that it isn't. Um, I don't believe it is due to a lack of oxygen. Right. I think it's just the um, you've just used up or you just don't have enough mitochondria. Right. Um, because 
so lactate is the byproduct of or the end product of um, glycolysis yeah. so breakdown of glycogen break, yeah. breakdown of glucose um, and mitochondria takes up the pyruvate yeah. um, but if it, if it doesn't take up pyruvate uh, well pyruvate gets um, converted into acetyl-CoA and then into um, the TCA cycle electron transport chain yeah. and you create ATP all yeah. along the process but when you're working at such high intensities you know you've used up all the mitochondria and um, there's nowhere for the pyruvate to go yeah. and so it gets converted to lactate and lactate accumulates okay. um, cool. whether or not I, I believe oxygen isn't the um, isn't the cause for the build up of, of uh, lactate yeah. um, but any physiologists could yeah, but but my I suppose my question in there then is is um is regarding the the sort of the use of, of obviously um, glycogen and then the use of fat stores yeah. obviously in endurance athletes. So one of the one of the comments I, I I've been getting quite a bit um from Manchester Marathon and things like that is that, that I'm a, a, quite a bit of a bigger athlete in comparison to the guys that I race against in, in the elite fields. Yeah. Chunky athlete as a commentator <laughs> and um. With that, I, I mean, I know my well, rough, my body fat percentage is is just under the athlete sort of parameter of around twelve percent, mm-hmm. which is quite high for a marathon runner, yeah. uh, which is usually talking probably sort of male marathon runners five, six, four, five, six percent sort of thing body fat. I'd so go. A lot on the lower I'd side. say like six to eight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You'd basically be a corpse at five or. Yeah. <laughs> um, which some of them do look that way, but. Um, but um, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, but what I'm sort of what I'm wondering is is obviously with having a higher uh, maybe higher fat percentage, um, a lot of the things that obviously I've been going off at, at, at quick paces were usually you know you, you're putting myself into um, sort of you know or in general people would expect to start to build lactate mm-hmm. um, and therefore you know as you're going in the marathon distance you would hit you know that metaphorical sort of wall point which is basically yeah. the, the build of black thing not being able to continue or yeah. having to reduce the speed to be able to finally get your body to, to recover from that um whereas i've been able to or people have said that you know actually the, the bit they're impressed by is the fact that i've been able to continue and still manage to finish and still run a reasonable time even though slower than the initial pace going yeah um and i'm wondering whether that might have something to do with that higher sort of body fat percentage because I'm therefore able to, I'm not, I'm swapping over and using the fat uh, reserves or fat stores rather than the glycogen mm-hmm. um, more or more effectively, more efficiently um, and therefore not having that sort of, you know, hitting the wall or boinking sort of effect. Yeah. That, that's, so yeah. the, the first concept that, um, that everyone sort of miss, um, miss, what's the word, misunderstands? Yeah. Um, you don't like switch on carbohydrate yeah. and then switch off uh, fats. You're always using both, yeah. um, especially you know in a marathon distance. Um, and hitting the wall isn't because uh, you run out of fat stores. Yeah. Uh, hitting the wall is more likely due to you run out of glycogen, run out yeah. of uh, liver glucose, or well, maybe not liver glucose low blood glucose um, um, in in a very short answer no uh, to your question yeah. uh, higher fat percentage won't you know prevent you from hitting the wall um, because you know but like I don't remember the exact number but even are really lean athletes like eight percent fat you know the you've got loads of calories of um uh of energy left in those fat stores yeah. um so it isn't you know bonking or hitting the wall when you're eight percent fat that's not due to you know you being you know running out of fat stores or yeah. being really lean um uh, I think it really depends on the type of athlete that's asking you. Um, 
if you're saying like chunky (laughs) (laughs) um it really depends on the intensity that they're running at yeah i mean so for someone like yourself you might be running at a really high intensity you might you know well-trained athletes are able to hold an intensity that's much closer to their vo2 max so for you it might be a marathon might be I'd say 80, 80, 85% of VO2 max. Yeah. Um, I think, I think Elliot Kipchoge was like close to 90%, which is outrageous. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it really depends on the athlete because, um, so lower trained athletes or lesser trained athletes, they're probably going to run it at a much lower intensity. Yeah. And when you're running at a lower intensity that you, um, the contribution of fats is higher than if you're running at a higher higher intensity. Yeah. So um I obviously you can still train um your body to to use fats as a fuel store uh, like increase that contribution yeah. of fats. Um I mean, simply training is going to increase your fat oxidation rates, but then you could also manipulate um, your diet, you know, on certain times of the day. So doing morning fasted runs, that's going to um, reduce the your rate of carbohydrate oxidation and increase that fat oxidation rates. And that is, you know, over time, you know, three months, six months, that's going to, you know, increase that you know train your body to increase uh fat oxidation um i think there was a paper i was i don't know i don't know his first name prince something something prince um also tim noakes was part of that paper um big guy big guy on um uh high fat diets um they basically, um, well, this is only 5K. So they compared a mixed diet with a high-fat diet. And then they did um, uh, two 5K t- uh, time trials and essentially saw no difference. But I would argue that like you know, 5K, that's, that's a really short distance and you're not really going to run out of of uh, carbohydrates in in that situation, um, but over a marathon, you know, there's loads and loads of papers like uh, just showing that you know increasing your carbohydrate um, intake before during is gonna uh, improve your performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say you know for those high intensity sessions for races um always go high carb yeah um i guess all the way down to all the way down to sort of 5k 5k how long does it take 5k take like 15 minutes yeah maybe 18 20 for for women or if you're a bit slower but but even then, you know, for five k, you're running at really high intensity, and yeah. um, I'd say like 95 percent of your VO two max. So that's almost all carbohydrates. And if you've got no carbohydrates to use, then you're not creating ATP. And you're not creating ATP. Your your muscles not contracting. So yeah. yeah. On that question of carbohydrates, Louis. I sort of sorry. I, w- I sort of went like jumping all over. The no, place. no, that's oh. fine. That's what we like on this show. Um, I recall Matthew stating to me, correct me if I'm wrong, Matthew, on a particular race day, he thinks that it's not the day before; it's the day before, the day before. You have your carbohydrates two days before high high, high quantity. Is that is that correct? Yeah, so, that was so, your thinking so, in regards to race performance, so race day performance. Forty-eight hours before is it is this correct information louis uh for a marathon 
Well, go through all the distances. All the distances. I think my 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 thing is is it's not the, it's more and it's more a psychological thing than anything. It's not the 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 evening meal the night before the race. It's because I think a lot of people sometimes like will take a lot of pasta on and things like that. And obviously the issue with pasta is that it obviously retains water as well, so it can leave you feeling bloated then coming race day. This is correct, so, Louis, yeah. Louis nodding his head. Yeah, yeah. So, so, the, so my idea is that there's a lot of people put a lot of pressure on, because you know you go to these marathon events and stuff and they'll have like pasta parties the night before and everything like that, and that, that then puts that emphasis on the night before, having this big massive pasta dish that fills you with all the carbs that you need. But for me, it's that sort of, it's the obviously the lunch, the breakfast of that day before and the day before that, then making sure that, you know, through those those last couple of days in the build-up, you've really stored that because what you eat the night before is probably still going to be somewhere in the, in terms in the of, point of digestion. In terms of um, water retention, like, I don't think it would, if, let's say you ate the equivalent amount of pasta as if you, like, carb-loaded you know, 48 hours, you know, the night before, you say you had three grams per kilo uh, carbohydrates in that pasta meal. Well, actually, that's impossible. That's quite a lot. Um, anyway, I'll talk about the water retention. Um, so, so one gram of glycogen. Oh, have I got this wrong way around? One gram of glycogen or three grams of water sticks to one gram of glycogen um it's more so about the amount uh of carbohydrates required so there's a paper by sherman i don't know his first name sherman uh and some other writers 1981 um so they i think this was only a half marathon though but it definitely applies to a marathon yeah. anyway. So they had two groups. One group had a even higher carbohydrate uh, loading. And then the other group had, you know, s- still carb loaded, but slightly less. Um, so obviously the ones that carb loaded more, they're going to be heavier. Um, and you'd expect them to run faster because, you know, carbohydrates makes you run faster. <laughs> But um, in the end, they found that there was no uh, sort of extra benefit um, or like there was no time difference between the two groups. Um, So it's really about fueling enough so that you're not, um, you don't, you don't blow up, but then you're also not at the start line, you know, overweight. Um, so it's just finding that balance. Um, I would recommend um, Louise Burke's paper on uh, contemporary nutritional strategies for distance running uh, and race walking, I believe. Um, you know that paper. I basically used that paper with you know to to um, inform you guys on on nutritional strategies. Um, yeah that that paper basically tells you everything you need to know so just to recap on that an- answer uh, water retention yeah that's all in Matthew's head uh, no, you, no you still you, you like like I said one gram of glycogen um, or sorry three I think three to four grams of water sticks to one gram of glycogen. Mm-hmm. So obviously the more glycogen you have, the more water you have. Right. So it's just So like, it could become a problem then. Yeah. But if you if you have so, a meal the evening before the race now, which is I don't think it makes to, a difference. If you were to have a just a, a sensible meal of pasta, not go overboard, that wouldn't be an issue. I d I don't I don't think it, it mm. makes a difference. I mean like glycogen is glycogen. Um, how much pasta you have the night before, you know, but I would recommend, you know, carb loading, um, 24, 48 hours, depending on the distance. Um, so marathon, maybe like 48 hours, you know, just loading throughout the day for two days. Tell us about, tell us about this loading throughout the day. Cause I'm not too sure. Really. So 
or recommended is because he has a McDonald's the night before don't he? <laughs> and a beer and we all know that alcohol well we'll come on to alcohol because that's a no-no but um, well, <laughs> I mean he has a beer before the race and I, I think well, that's I why that's why he keeps getting it wrong you know <laughs> <laughs> still beating you <laughs> I don't run marathons you know but um Tell us, Louis, please, tell us how to load, you know, carb load, you know, during, you know, these days before. Do we, are we changing things? Is this, so race week, you know, we're racing once a month, let's say, and now we're in this week where we're having, there's a race on the Saturday. It's a marathon or it's a 1500 meters. It could be either. What are we changing here in this, in this particular week? So 1500 is obviously much shorter. I mean, how long is it for men's? Like four, four minutes, minutes or four something minutes. like that, yeah. Women's like closer to five minutes. Maybe. Um, yeah. So definitely wouldn't carb load as much as, as a marathon runner. What would you be having instead then? I'd still carb load. Oh, just, well, depends what you, how you term or define carb what, load. What does it mean? What does it mean? Carb load could... To me, carb load could be like just paying attention to the amount of or increasing the amount of carbohydrates. It could be like as little as five grams per kilo. And uh, it, but uh, for a marathon runner, you might be going up to like eight, ten grams per kilo. So if I'm about, I think I'm about 66, 65 kilos. What are you, Matthew? 70. So you're much heavier than me. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> But uh, is he taller? Are you taller? And chunky, and chunky. So, in terms of seventy kilos, three grams per kilo. Um, don't give us those figures again. Um, three grams is actually quite low. That's probably yeah. That's quite a low day. Um, five grams per kilo. So you're talking two hundred and ten grams of carbohydrates. Uh, for Matthew, it would be like 450? 450. Oh, no, 350, sorry. Three, 350. Seven, what, what, what 70 you... times five. Times five, times five, times five, yeah. And this would be from the Monday, the race on the Saturday, this would be from the Sunday all the way through. Oh, I would be... go, well, for a marathon. Well, um, well, let's look at both of those distances. Well, for a marathon, I'd go like 48 hours before start loading. Right, yeah. And then I'd probably go eight to ten but let's say ten just for, mm-hmm. for just for Matt's sake ten yeah yeah <coughs> so that'd be so 700 700 yeah uh, 700 grams per day um, just from 48 hours before um, you could push it th- I I would have really pushed it at 36 but 48 48 hours so two days okay. before yeah um, four hour uh I'll come back to this for our lab report that we just completed what, a couple of weeks ago. So we did a 5k run versus a 20k run. So obviously the 5k you're running at a much higher intensity than the 20k. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do you think, well, you probably use more carbohydrates in the 5k, but you actually use a lot more like significantly a lot more in the 20k just because the the time difference yeah. sort of compensates for the difference in intensity in intensity yeah. um so that i just wanted to make that point um what were we talking about uh carb loading um it, uh so i don't remember how many but it used to they used to think that you had to sort of carb deplete before you carb loaded to yeah. it's sort of it's called a super compensation so you're going higher than what you what you normally have yeah. um but you know more recently you know you don't they found that you don't need to you could just have like a normal five to seven grams per kilo day and then 48 hours before you know Bring it up to eight to ten. Yeah, so Ron, Ron, so, so Ron Hill, uh, Ron Hill depletion, carb depletion. So John Joe stopped me from doing carb depletion. You see, 
when I, uh, I before, before last last October's Manchester Marathon because I was I was I was reading around and everyone started talking about oh I'm going to carb deplete and I thought and I thought what are they on about I've never heard this so then I, I was reading and oh, oh okay and then run it and I asked a couple of guys that I, that I know who've been good marathon runners and um, and he told me oh yeah Ronnie Ola told him that how to do this and it worked for him he said for the week so I was going to do it for my I had three weeks out before before the marathon I had a, a 15 mile run at marathon pace so I was going to practice it that week yeah just to see if it worked or not and then obviously I could change my mind if it didn't work before the actual marathon yeah um, so I, I did one day of, of carb depletion and then I came back and I was chatting with John Joe and he said he said, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? He said, that sounds like madness. That sounds like madness. He said, have you asked your coach? I said, no, I've, I've not asked my coach. He said, well, you know, you're paying your coach and stuff. Like that. Why you ask your coach? So I asked my coach. And my coach said, he said, yeah, he said, I wouldn't change anything. Just just normal, you know, just eat normal sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So we, 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 we sacked that off, to be fair. Um, but a lot of people I know did still still do that and things like that. And then, you know, uh, I, I mean, my coach, he was sort of, because I said, well, what about, you know, Carb load, and he said, he said, he said, you know, I, I, you know, as long as you're eating healthy and all the rest of that last week and things, he said, you know, I don't think it's too much. And but I mean, to be fair, my, my, you know, I probably do. It's probably not. I probably just I don't eat more than what I would eat, normally eat, but I probably do bring in more carbs in those last couple of days. Like I say last forty eight hours or so. Yeah. You know, I make sure. I think that the, the, the way I've done the last couple of builds up is is basically from about the, the marathons on a Sunday from about Wednesday. My evening meal solely becomes a pasta dish, so mm-hmm. I, you know I'm not having anything else. It's just pasta, you know, some sort of pasta mm-hmm. dish for the evening meal. Um, it stays round about the same my breakfast and lunch mm-hmm. until then that that sort of that 48 hour period before where then my sort of lunch then becomes also a pasta dish, evening meal again another pasta dish. Yeah. Lunch, the the the, the final day before the ra- the race is, is pasta, um, and then yeah, obviously as John Joe mentioned before, I, I go with. A McDonald's and a beer. Isn't, the, the evening, evening isn't that beer. where it could improve potentially? That last evening before the race. Well, it depends on what the meal is for McDonald's. Well, if I it's, mean, they uh, don't do any decent food, do they? <laughs> um, I'd probably just stick to pasta. It's not. A, but this is the bit that John Joe misses, and he, this is the bit he, he, he tunes out with whenever I, I tell him um, this. Is it's not from a. I don't eat that from a nutrition standpoint. Mm-hmm. I eat that from a psychological standpoint and from a point of that if I'm racing anywhere in the world, I can get a McDonald's. <laughs> I can't always get that nice home-made pasta dish that I would make for myself. But you, you know, Anywhere man, in the world. Anywhere in the world. Well, I've been in Seville. Oh, I've been okay. in the Caribbean. You know, I, I, I get around. I don't just, it's not just Ireland. Um, you know, so... Um, so... You know, I always know I can get a McDonald's, so it, it, it's that purpose. Not in Russia, that, not in Russia, you can't. Not at the moment, but I also can't get to Russia. So I'm not really <laughs> safe on that one. <laughs> but um, you know, so that that it, it's one. It, so yeah, one. It's the it's the point that it, I know I can get that wherever I go. And and again, you know, and that comes back to to Usain Bolt in the at the Beijing Olympics having chicken nuggets and from McDonald's on that they had on the Olympic Village site, and um, back when the Olympics were sponsored by McDonald's. Um, because you know and you, you compared that to the British team who were all down with food poisoning because they'd gone out and sampled different food that they would normally eat in the yeah. lead up to a competition and therefore you know were ill whereas McDonald's is pretty much the same thing because it's pretty much cardboard wherever you go yeah. so, I would argue um, Usain Bolt eating like McDonald's um, you're not really are you glycolytic well nine seconds yeah, you're probably glycolytic by towards the end, but yeah. then you're you're really like mostly using your your fossil creatine stores. Yeah. you know, in that first half, so yeah. it really doesn't. You don't. No, it's not. A, but really it's not a nutrition. It. <laughs> but it's but it's it's a it's a sort of. Um, Thank you for that, Louis. It's, yeah. it's, <laughs> really it's that risk factor. It's that risk factor thing from a yeah. from a be the availability of the meal before, and then the psycho psychology side of it is that because it's such you know sometimes I think. A lot of athletes, especially someone like John Joe, because he does. You know, I, I I've been to races with John Joe, and 
we can be for the whole night before all the way up until driving to the race he's coming up with excuses and reasons why he's not going to perform well because he's he's built the race up into such a thing that he's like oh I ate too much there and oh it's looking windy and oh the rain's coming and <laughs> oh this isn't going to go well and stuff like that and he, he's psychologically he's getting far too um, built up over something where I, I believe you've got, you, you know, you, you, you're using all that energy when you start doing that <laughs> you've got to sort of you know relax a little bit stay calm you know you, you really want that nervous energy only really to start kicking in that last hour or so before the race and so by doing the by having a McDonald's which is such a you know and a beer aver- and a beer which is just such an <laughs> average you know run of the mill sort of as if there's nothing big happening the next day sort yeah. of thing it takes that little bit of psychological pressure off and then obviously you know the pressure then you can sort of try and because you've got to try and relax anyway because yeah. the night before is, is from a sleep perspective and stuff like that is important and, and, and the night before that but that's uh, my Louis, reasoning Louis alcohol the night before a race please oh, two seconds like if you're going to travel somewhere for a race like surely you'd know about it months yeah. weeks months in yeah. advance so yeah. something I'd recommend be like just do some research on what you could get um so it doesn't have to be pasta. It could be mm. potatoes, rice. Well said, Louis. Um, yeah. I'm glad you're here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Talk some sense yeah. into it, you know. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Matthew. <laughs> and what about the alcohol thing? Because I'd love you to tell him off on that as well. I'm not, I'm not expert on uh, alcohol before races, but... I don't. I, I can see like the psychological part of that, like helping yourself relax. Um, you, I mean, I'm not going out you, getting drunk. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you tell me off for I it, think, Louis. I think you can't. That's because you can't handle more than one beer. <laughs> Did you have two that night? <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll be a good, a good study, like, like a dose response. Yeah. Maybe someone's done it already, like a dose response. Um, mm. to number of beers the night before race so yeah. like one pint versus two pints versus three pints well, I, the night before the, uh, I thought I thought we were agreed though even one was too many I thought we were agreed on that I mean I definitely wouldn't recommend it yeah uh, <laughs> um, these specific like mechanisms and the reasons why I'm I'm not too familiar with that like yeah <laughs> Well, now, I, I mean, we've got so many questions and, and um, I really want to get to some juicy, even more um, questions that will both benefit yourself and myself and the listener. So, um, this idea, Louis, if you could tell us about this idea again. Last night I did a session at Wavertree. Um, Tuesday night, generally do a session. Uh, quite intense, quite late at night, mm-hmm. um, and, and that, that's a question in itself. I mean, got you've got to get your rest, got to get your sleep. Mm-hmm. You've now you feel you've got this. Uh, they call it runner's high. Talk, talk, tell me about that, of course, and recommendations for for bringing that um, into a place where you can then rest because rest is so yeah. important. But then the next day, generally an easy run, and because of work commitments. I'm not going to get up at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do my day's work. You were saying to me, you would go out and do this easy run. It could be 45 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. Depends on, on the discipline that you're aiming for. And you would go out carb depleted. Yeah. And the reason for that, please, for, for myself and the listener. Um. So basically, it's just coming back to the point I made like at the start of the podcast. Just it's to uh, train your body to increase its uh, fat oxidation or fat utilization um, capacity um, over weeks and months. You know, that's gonna increase your body's capabilities of to use fats as a fuel source. Uh, yeah, fuel source. And say for a marathon, you know, you've only got, you know, a, your body's only got a limited amount of glycogen stores in, in your muscles. Um, and obviously, well, even more important is like, oh, I don't remember the article. We got shown an article 
um, by this Ironman athlete and slash coach, I think. He basically did this really interesting graph showing, you know, if you did an Ironman uh, with this amount of carbohydrates, you know, the first graph basically showed that you'd, you wouldn't even make it off the bike. You'd run out of carbohydrates before you even start your run. Um, and then sort of increase your carbohydrate intake. Oh, they also compared um, a um, a high fat burner versus a low fat burner. Um, oh, fat burners. I shouldn't be using burner. Um, high fat utilizer versus a low fat utilizer. Um, and then obviously the person with lower uh, fat utilization is using more of their endogenous glycogen, endogenous be being in your body, your, your muscle, your muscle glycogen. And you've only got so much of that and you're gonna run out. Um, so obviously if you're able to utilize your fats more, you know, you, then, you know, you're using less glycogen and so you sort of die slower. Um, that's so. Is that as important for let's say fifteen hundred meters and then the marathon? Is it as important for both disciplines? Definitely more important. No, one thousand percent more important for for the marathon. Yeah. Uh, whether or not it impacts the fifteen hundred, um, don't think so, because. Um, just because it's so short it's like four or five minutes you're not yeah. very unlikely to run out of of carbohydrates uh, glycogen which is interesting because if, if you are a 1500 meter runner you don't need to think about um, low carbs easy runs you, you could have high carbs easy runs it wouldn't make any difference I reckon it could be well depends on the situation if say obviously you'd, you'd want the 1500 meter runner to still be pretty lean so sort of like below 10% fat so if you know if you're three months away from competition and your athletes like 12 13 14% fat then you might you know employ these sort of strategies to to get their their um, their fat percentages down um, yeah that I mean I'd, I'd still recommend it for for a 1500 meter runner but obviously just not as important um, as a marathon or half marathon Ironman athlete and we never mentioned what are <coughs> quality carbs Carbs, white bread, rice, pasta. What would you say is the ultimate spuds, tatties? What, what is the ultimate carb? Um, so, yeah, so a carb isn't a, just a carb. Um, you've got like, the simplest way is splitting them into low GIs, high GIs, uh, glycemic index. Um, so a high GI uh, carbohydrate would um, uh, create a high insulin spike. Um, and then there's a recent paper by, uh, what's his first name? Oh, anyway, there was a recent paper. Um, so they were comparing a low GI meal and a high GI meal three hours before exercise. Mm. Um, and then obviously the high GI meal, high insulin spike. Um, and then also reduced the rate of fat oxidation in those three hours. Or did it? I don't remember if it made it an actual difference during those three hours before exercise, but even three hours after that meal, when they started exercising, they saw a difference in the uh, substrate use, substrate being carbohydrate, fats, those are the two substrates. 
they saw that the high GI, uh, when you had a high GI meal three hours before exercise, you know, that uh, down-regulated your uh, fat utilization, um, you know, even three hours afterwards. So, um, but then coming back to that, uh, glycogen, uh, water retention point. Mm. Um, typically, foods with low GI, so sort of like your brown breads, um, uh, spuds, Are spuds low GI, sort of medium GI. Mm. But then anything with sort of high fiber, so fiber actually, so I was saying one gram of glycogen carries three to four grams of water. Well, fiber, I believe, carries like even more right. water. So brown rice, brown pasta. Yes, that sort of stuff, you know, going to create even more water retention. That would like, wouldn't. I wouldn't really care too much about that in in training because training is just training, but more so for competition. Uh, so I'd say morning of. Um, going sort of like white bread, mm. um, white rice, um, just to keep that weight that weight down as well. Yeah. Interesting. I think uh, Louise Burke's paper even said uh, you could have like desserts like cakes are like low in fiber <laughs> so you could have i don't know i i don't know if i would recommend that but cake for breakfast i've heard of it i've heard of this before um it's what you normally have isn't it cake for breakfast no. as well as your full english and all the rest of it <laughs> we've not even mentioned caffeine i can see it's on your page oh yeah, yeah. caffeine is interesting um um, I find coffee seems to take away from the body if you have too much of it. But uh, go on, Matthew, you've got a question on that, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, again, mine's, mine's from a, again, sort of personal level of, of, of something that people have pointed out to me in, in races and things that is that, um, you know, just reading, obviously, my heart rate data post-racing, I mean, I, I don't pay much attention to it because I know, um, you know, my heart rate monitor isn't, isn't particularly the most accurate sort of thing, you know, even even with a... Uh, a chest strap it doesn't necessarily make it that much more accurate you know uh, you know away from sort of lab testing and things like that but um but people have raised the point that obviously um or at least it would look that the way i run i'm sending my heart rate up quite quite high quite early on in in, in the in the race and, and therefore again would expect me to sort of uh, you know hit a wall or, or things that'll be you know tra- uh, the intensity uh, nowhere really to go from there um but i and then obviously I somehow managed to do so and again wondering whether um, the the fact that I have quite high caffeine intake uh, may have affected the, the level that my body and my heart rate is, is used to being at a high a high state and therefore you know when I, when I do race and, and send it into the, to that high level it, it's used to performing at that sort of level because you know yeah I mean from a from a intake level I usually have two or three um double espressos or ristrettos in the morning followed by um, a monster energy drink um, you know and then um, and then maybe another another ristretto or, or an espresso slightly later in the day depending on how I'm feeling but usually after after midday I try to avoid um, caffeine too much so yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Usually, unless I'm feeling quite tired, and then and then I have another one. Unless um, you've got a podcast to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's late in the evening, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, usually, you know, I, I went training last night late on, and um, so when I got in about half five, I had a, I had a, a double espresso then sort of thing. So, you know, um, if I'm going to train things, that usually I will have another one. But you know, on the weekends, it'll just be a morning, morning thing or stuff like that. But yeah, obviously, that's going to shoot my my heart rate up from that yeah. standpoint and. Does that then have an effect on my ability to have a high heart rate and perform at that high heart rate because it's used to doing it at sort of rest sort mm-hmm. of levels? Um, so the I think caffeine. So obviously, caffeine increases heart rate, but then I believe like it does depends on it depends on uh, genetics as well. I think some people it actually relaxes them. 
Um, so that might be you, John Joe. Really? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. It might be like 1% of the population. I don't know. How do we find that out? Can we do tests for that as well, Louis? Maybe. I don't know. When can you Probably. put me in? <laughs> I, don't know how to run, I don't know how to run that test. <laughs> um, um, so caffeine's ability to increase performance, I don't think is to do with um, your ability to... You know, to work at a higher heart rate. Um, I think, so caffeine's, the mechanisms to why caffeine, uh, to, or to how caffeine improves your performance is more to do with uh, the shape, well, especially in a long distance, you know, running event like a marathon, is because the, the caffeine molecule is similar to adenosine um, and then you've got these adenosine receptors in your brain and when you're fatigued you know you build up adenosine and which attaches to these adenosine receptors and basically tells you you're tired but then what caffeine is or what caffeine does is it binds to these um, uh, adenosine receptors so it blocks the adenosine from attaching to them so it sort of prevents it sort of tells you you're not tired yeah. Um, which is what's happening right now. Even though you are, even though you are. Um, well, we are, you know. But yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so that's that's the main mechanism for for sort of endurance endurance running. Um, Doesn't it do something to the uh, the ventricles? What do you say? The uh, it opens up the vasodilation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if it does. I know nitrate does. Um, so beetroot juice, but we'll stick to caffeine for now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it also uh, increases uh, neurotransmitter activation, um, and then more so towards like the power, strength, um, end of the spectrum. It also um, increases calcium release. So you, every time you uh, contract a muscle, you need calcium release. To, to make that muscle contract. Um, so those are sort of the, the main mechanisms behind uh, caffeine. Um, but yeah, back to that heart rate, I don't, I don't think it's, it, um, this is why like when I train, I don't really look at heart rate. Because <laughs> yeah. no, I, I, it, I so, <laughs> it really, your heart rate just fluctuates depending on what you've done the night before whether or not you had coffee, um, how well you slept, uh, what meal you had just before your, your exercise. Um, I don't think, I don't think um, you know, increasing your heart rate and then um, causes, or what people think you might, because you're working at a higher heart rate, you'll hit a wall earlier. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Um, yeah, I, yeah, by I working don't... at that intensity, that sort of intensity from the start, sort of thing yeah. that you know, you, you know, if you, your heart rate was at one eighty, sort of thing. You, you would be... expect it. To, you would expect yourself to, to run out of, to crash sort of yeah. thing because you're walking at such a no, high intensity. But um, <clears throat> yeah, you can be running at the same intensity on two separate occasions, and your heart rate would be different. Mm. So I don't think you know it's yeah. I don't think it. Mm. There's nothing to worry. So caffeine, yay or nay? Um, uh, depends. Yeah, good answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for competition, I would say depends how long your competition is actually. So mm, so caffeine uh, typically peaks at roughly an hour. Mm. Um. So if I took it, if you have a race at 10 a.m., I would say, well, if it was like a 5K race or 1,500-meter race or even a 10K race, I'd probably like take it um, half an hour. Maybe for a 10K, I'd push it to sort of half an hour to 45 minutes before, yeah, that, before competition. That's very interesting. In what form? 
as a, a small sh- a shot or a full mug. Um, little Remy caffeine strip. Ideally, ideally, um, you know. There's also uh, research on uh, caffeine with carbohydrates intake. So together, um, again, not sponsored by SIS, but they have uh, <laughs> caffeine gels. Um, How would I make one of those? Because uh, Louis has has um, he's got me making my own recovery shakes, which we must mention. Um, but first of all, how do I make my own caffeine carbohydrate um, gel, or maybe well, not a I gel? Don't, I don't know how much caffeine is in your coffee. Like that's the thing. Um, you don't know how much. It, we, obviously, it varies between cup to cup. Right. Well, um, if we measure the teaspoon, or you know, in, in an accurate way, we can find out, can we? Honestly, I. I, I wouldn't know. Okay. Uh, also depends on the brand. Hmm. Um, I know something like this that Matthew is drinking is very strong. It's it's a shot of it's an espresso. So it's obviously I even espresso is sort of like that one hundred mark or just over a hundred uh, milligrams. That... Um, ah, coming back to sort of dosage, so so fifteen hundred up to. 5k i'd go like towards an hour before and then depends how much coffee you normally have if you normally have um so if you're habitual coffee caffeine taker i probably reduce it down to sort of two to three milligrams per kilo uh so for you matthew just because it's easy it's 70 kilos (laughs) uh so it's like 140 milligrams per day up to uh, 210 Um, so and then before competition you know if you know practice this obviously um, so pushing that up towards like four up to six um, anything beyond that hasn't shown to to in you know further improve your performance so I would definitely wouldn't go anywhere beyond like six. Like six is a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> unless you weigh like fifty kilos or something. <laughs> is there a potential problem with you know overusing uh, caffeine to a point where your body becomes sort of it's not? Yeah. So that's that comes to like comes back to practice. You know, practice your nutrition. Um, that comes. You know, every bit of nutrition, or it doesn't even have to be nutrition. It could be like your race shoes. Yeah. Or your 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 race warm up, um, and then you know, practice your nutrition as well, um, carbohydrates, uh, caffeine intake. Um, so yeah, it depends on between, you know, per, it's different between person to person. Um, you could get the jitters, um, if you have too much. Um, also if you have it too late, like what we're doing right now. Um, could affect sleep, yeah. um, because the well, half the half life of caffeine is oh, depends on the rate of your metabolism. So it could be like three. Depends what paper you read, actually. Well, three to five or four to six. Um, so basically, that means like you after five hours, you've still got half the amount of caffeine in your body mm-hmm. so say if you had caffeine at let's say 4pm you know 10 hours later you still got 25% so in the middle of the night 2pm 2am uh, you was that right yeah so 2am you still got 25% of of that caffeine left in your body um, so that's something to you know to keep in mind um, some quick fire questions within the last five minutes here uh, what's what been is very compelling podcast we hope we could potentially have you back on the show at some point in the future uh, recovery sleep why is it so important um, why, why is it so important what's going on in that in good rest and, and regular periods of very good rest what, what's happening to the body and why is it so important? Um, 
so sleep i think you might have to ask a psychologist um but i can talk about it from a protein perspective please please um so it's been shown was it um You're out of town, Louis. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Go on. <laughs> my, my, mind's, my mind's gone blank. It's a quick fire long. around this, you know. <laughs> um, Next question. The <laughs> no, go, go on. Uh, so drinking a pint of milk uh, before you go to bed. Um, sort of that slow release of protein throughout the night um, is uh, really beneficial. Uh, to recovery so I sent you that infographic um, sort of that uh, protein synthesis protein breakdown so at night you're not eating anything so that that wave is gonna come down below that line um, sort of that balance line so you're sort of breaking down protein well probably not to the extent that you are you know during the day because you're not active but that slow release of protein or amino acids throughout the night from from a pint of milk i love a glass of milk and, and milk for me is, is to be cherished i make the recovery shakes that we talked about making with peanut butter milk oats banana train high intensity and then i've got this shake which i've made but then you've got these other people in the debate the vegans of this world who are saying, no, this is uh, forbidden. You mustn't drink milk. Um, what, what are your feelings on, on, on veganism and, and, you know, and, and that particular diet? And, and you know... John Joe's trying to get me in trouble. No, <laughs> Sorry, no, 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 no one will be listening to this part of the podcast. That's why he brings it up there. <laughs> not at all, no. I mean, I know you're not... Uh, I just gauge from you on the journey here that you you weren't particularly a believer of 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 that particular diet which is very interesting because you're an expert and i want to hear that opinion because we've had these game changer type documentaries which i think are very much skew whiff and, and biased and then i want to hear an expert have a, an opinion an alternative view that's that's fair well first of all i wouldn't consider myself an expert in nutrition just yet you know, got very few, humble, very few, humble of you. A few years to go left. Um, um, obviously, there's a lot of alternatives. Um, you know, soy is a good, you know, soy milk is a good alternative. Um, uh, any any nut milk really is a good alternative as well. How do you get milk out of a nut? I believe they just like put it in the sack and like they squeeze it. <laughs> I didn't realize I said that. Um. You've been listening to the mother of all podcasts. Until next time, we want to give a warm cheer to Mr. Louis Huan. <laughs>